Welcome to Innovation Booster, the Hattrick podcast about health technology for more healthy years of life. In this podcast, we'll talk about everything related to research and innovation in health technology. And I am your host, Dr. Rut Koopsvontjag. Although we are used to stress the dangers and discomfort of radioactivity, the application in diagnostics and medicine can be really useful. In this 10th episode of the Innovation Booster podcast, we are going to discuss the future of medical radioisotopes in the North. From production to application, what are current applications of radioactivity? What are the next steps? And how do you ensure a safe environment for everyone involved in the production application of medical isotopes? We will explore this important field of health technology with two very special guests. Firstly, we welcome Walter Noordzij, nuclear medicine physician at the University Medical Center of Groningen. Welcome, Walter. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And secondly, we welcome Harry Burlage, who is the general manager at Shine Europe. And Shine develops and produces medical isotopes for diagnostics and treatment of cancer and cardiovascular diseases. First, I would like to, well, try to grasp uh, what are medical radioisotopes and how is it used in medicine in the last century or so? Uh, well, uh, thank you. I will kick off uh, on, on that topic. Thank you, Walter. Um, so, um, radioactive isotopes are well um, available all over. So they are actually uh, partly um, part of nature. Mm-hmm. And um, well, some of those are uh, produced in facilities uh, and in our university medical center on the Department of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging, we have our own facility to produce radioactive isotopes, for instance, in our cyclotron, mm-hmm. and we produce those uh, for... And a, and a cyclotron, is that like a giant w- kind of washing machine? structure or well you could um see it as a smaller form of a a nuclear reactor okay it's not entirely the same um but um well consider it as a smaller um nuclear reactor um it's shielded by a lot of concrete of Mm -hmm. course to um well uh, limit the radiation burden to the environment uh, of course um so but we produce our own short-lived radionuclides uh, for positron emission tomography, which is an imaging technique okay. on our department. Um, and we can label these uh, radioactive isotopes to a mm-hmm. uh, well, um, body process specific molecule, for instance, a, a protein or mm-hmm. a receptor analog. Uh, and so the combination of this radioactive isotope and, well, and, and a drug or a kind of medicine is called a radio a pharmaceutical. Wow. Wow. Okay. And these are used for, well, imaging body processes, mm-hmm. but you can also use um, these radio pharmaceuticals for therapeutic purposes. And, and um, to start off, could you give an example of where we apply this for uh, medical imaging? Um, yeah. An example case study, so to say. Yeah, uh, of course. Well, Actually, you can image any body process that you're interested in, but the majority of what we perform 
is imaging of um, a tumor sites. So, okay. for instance, the uh, site of the primary tumor, mm-hmm. but also the spread of the disease, so-called metastases. So, where you can find out where it is located inside the body, and also, yeah, the extent to which it's, which it's well spread it inside the body. Correct. And you, you also said uh, we can also use it to image medical of uh, bodily processes. So can you also use it to uh, study things like blood flow or uh, uh, digestion? Yes, things like uh, that? yes uh, okay. indeed. So actually from uh, top to bottom, we yes. can image anything that we, uh, we're interested in. So wow. for instance, dementia patterns. Mm. So an old Alzheimer's disease has a very different uh, glucose metabolism in the brain as compared to, well, frontotemporal dementia. Um, but we can also uh, image um, the motility of the um, esophagus. Okay, you have to, you have to <laughs> help me there because those are both... Uh... <laughs> okay, well, so um, um, a, a dementia, yeah. uh, well, n- not all dementia uh, types of diseases are the same. Right, so that mm-hmm. means that uh, in from a clinical perspective, so from a neuro- neurologist's perspective, there is difference in the presentation of patient with Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. or f- frontotemporal disease. So those are specific areas within the brain th- uh, that are affected, and then uh, lead to another type of well, dementia uh, syndrome. Okay, and we can use our imaging technique to mm-hmm. visualize where the defect in the brain is located. And so um, actually guide the neurologist to, um, well, determine which type of ah. dementia syndrome the patient is suffering from. Okay. So far for me, this medical radioisotopes sound like the, the magic dust of medicine. They have awesome applications. So, Hari, could you describe from your perspective, what do you think are the the most recent or the newest developments in radioisotopes for medical imaging and or diagnostic yeah. uh, and or um, so diagnostics and or treatment. Yeah. Thank you for asking this. And uh, it's extremely interesting to see what the developments are. So, mm-hmm. but first let, let me explain that there is a difference between a nuclear medicine and a medical isotope. So a nuclear medicine or mm-hmm. a radiopharmaceutical is a combination of a radioactive substance, which is the medical isotope, Mm-hmm. and a non-radioactive substance like a biomolecule and that biomolecule determines what kind of disease are we trying to go after mm-hmm. this biomolecule determines the biodistribution in the body where the payload is the radioactive substance that has to do the local effect once this nuclear medicine reaches the um, the place where you want to do positive harm like killing a cancer cell mm-hmm. and there are like at least 50, if not more, different medical isotopes. Wow. And there are thousands of synthetic and like normal um, body-friendly mm-hmm. molecules. So you have, in theory, more than 50,000 of potential combinations of medical isotopes and biomolecules that will be capable of treating all kinds of diseases or functions that you want to study in the body. So Sounds like like um, you're a cook with a whole lot of uh, different ingredients and 
different possibilities to combine these ingredients to have the greatest impact. Absolutely. Yes. And, okay. and the good thing is that uh, in our case, it's science and technology and not intuition and uh, opinion. It is basically being demonstrated on real clinical trials and the mm -hmm. measurable effect to, uh, to the human body. So what is uh, very interesting at the moment, for decades, uh, imaging was playing uh, a key role um, in nuclear medicine application. Obviously, Waldo already explained the cyclotron operation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for uh, layman's talk, it is like a mini reactor, but in, if you dig a bit deeper, mm -hmm. a cyclotron is a machine that accelerates particles, and these particles are capable of making medical isotopes. And the reactor does not accelerate particles. They use other particles. And for that reason, they make another range of medical isotopes. So cyclones okay. and mini reactors or shine, they are complementary technologies. So together, they are capable mm -hmm. of making all these uh, all these medical isotopes. Okay. Anyhow, the interesting part is ah, that, the interesting that, that it comes is that now we are more and more capable of treating cancers. So where we have this improved technology on doing imaging in hospitals, mm -hmm. we now also have the capability of adding medical isotopes that are emitting electrons and other particles. And because of that emission in the body, they are capable of killing cancer cells. So the trick now is to combine biomolecules with these medical isotopes that have the feature of actually being capable of killing cancer cells. And, and that's what? what is happening at the moment. What? Um, features of medical isotopes help killing these cancer cells? Yeah, very good question. So shall, shall I take this one and obviously you can, sure, you can add course, to that. Ahead. So clearly if you uh, do imaging, you have something in the body that's being emitted to outside the body so that a camera can measure the effect, like mm -hmm. a photo camera, a light um, uh, uh, energy package is being taken by a camera, mm -hmm. classical system. Obviously, to kill cancer cells, especially metastasized cancer cells, you need to bring energy to that cell so that it kills the DNA, so that it kills the repetition of cells. So mm -hmm. you need particles with energy that you will have to um, slow down in a very short range. So the good thing is that some medical isotopes do emit these particles and therefore have this local effect of killing cancer cells. Perhaps you can add to that, Walt, because... Um... Uh, well, yes, uh, thank you very much, Harry, for your clear uh, explanation. Um, from all the medical isotopes that are, or uh, I should say from all isotopes that are uh, um, today known to mm -hmm. exist, we already know what which particles they emit. So for, uh, especially, uh, we have a lot of stable isotopes, mm -hmm. uh, but of course there are many uh, radioactive uh, isotopes uh, as well and we know from well uh, from every radioactive isotope which particle they emit and we also know uh, for which uh, purpose we could use um, the emitted particle so especially so we already have like this giant manual so to say with the different features of the medical radioisotopes and how to how to use them uh, well, we know what they are capable of in the sense of um, w which types of well particles they emit. Mm -hmm. However, not uh, from um, every radioactive isotope, we know if it's um, if we can use it for labeling with a type of drug. Mm -hmm. So okay. to create a radiopharmaceutical. So we have we still have some work to do there. 
Of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, I see you yeah. smiling. Now. Yeah, so the interesting part clearly is that obviously the features of a, of a medical eye stop are basic physics. You can actually look it up on the internet and you will see what the energy is mm -hmm. and these type of particles that are being emitted. Now you have to do two things. You have to be able to make them in sufficient quantities. Mm -hmm. And two, you need to find biomolecules that stick to this medical isotope so that they do not degradate into the body. So that combination okay. requires a lot of study and a lot of work. And at present, uh, of course, we have um, some um, radiopharmaceuticals already available for uh, therapeutic purposes. Mm -hmm. Could you give some examples? Yes, uh, I can. Um, we uh, already, uh, I guess, uh, 75 years ago, we um, were starting with radioactive iodine. Wow. Uh, for uh, patients with, uh, well, thyroid diseases, so either hyperthyroidism. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, for instance, in Graves' disease or multinodular goiter, which are uh, forms of hyperthyroidism, and easily uh, treated with radioactive iodine. So you can slow down mm -hmm. the function of the thyroid gland using radioactive iodine, since the thyroid gland is the only tissue in the body that accumulates iodine. Um, and it takes up iodine from well, either the food or from mm -hmm. uh, the water, um, especially the drinking water in the Netherlands that contains uh, some iodine, but also in the salt. Mm -hmm. um, so if you add radioactive iodine, for instance, in a pill or in uh, fluid. You can also put it inside a, fit, in a pill. Yes, uh, oh, wow. well, uh, we can order a pill through mm -hmm. a commercial vendor, <laughs> and that's what we uh, do, um, for instance, in patients with uh, thyroid cancer. So we, um, so the, the current uh, standard of care in patients with uh, thyroid cancer mm -hmm. is, uh, first of all, uh, surgical uh, removal of the mm -hmm. thyroid gland, and afterwards, ablation of remnant uh, tissue using radioactive iodine. Uh, and that's already known for, well, I guess now 75 years or so. Wow. We had smart people back then already. Uh, uh, actually, <laughs> we had some accidents uh, ah. on the way uh, mm. with the introduction of uh, uh, radioactivity uh, or the discovery of radioactivity in x-rays uh, 100 years ago. And of course, you uh, know uh, from um, uh, the bombs in, in um uh, in Japan, uh, but also uh, radiation accidents in uh, um, uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima. Mm -hmm. um, and although those are major, major accidents, of course, with uh, a lot of people suffering from the um, radiation burden, it helped us in understanding the biodistribution of our mm -hmm. radioactive uh, isotopes uh, and see what happens in the body if well, people inhale or ingest these types of um, forms of radiation. Yeah. Um, and with the, that knowledge, there was the, uh, well, the, int uh, the introduction of, for instance, uh, Y90, which is uh, yttrium-90, and you can label those to um, small, um, well, uh, microspheres, actually. Um, and you can treat liver diseases using those microspheres, which are labeled with, well, Y90. They um, they stick uh, or uh, actually end up in the final uh, arteries in the liver tissue. Mm -hmm. So you intra-arterially inject those microspheres at the site where uh, tumors are located. 
um, they get stuck in the smaller arteries and emit their radiation locally. So that means that the tumor is effectively treated whilst actually having a low radiation burden to the surrounding tissues. And um, well, even having some difficulties in detecting the radiation outside of the body. So it's a very elegant type of treatment, mm -hmm. very localized, um, with, well, nearly no effect to surrounding tissues. And afterwards, um, we had um, lutetium-177 introduced, uh, which can <laughs> The names be... already sound like a sci-fi series. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can uh, label lutetium to, well, uh, uh, many, many uh, different uh, chelators and, and, and proteins. Um, but now we use it in, in clinical practice for the treatment of, uh, well, the spread of well, very specific mm -hmm. uh, types of diseases. One of those is um, a very mm, rare disease, actually, a neuroendocrine tumor. Um, we do not have to go in detail about the specifics of, about this type of treatment or, or uh, the disease, I should say. But what we already know is that the uh, treatment with radioactive uh, lutetium uh, mm -hmm. leads to um, uh, a progression-free survival, but also um, uh, there are some... Uh, and, and a progression-free survival is that... The patient will so that means actually that you suppress the tumor activity yes. and um, to a well uh, a basic level mm -hmm. and until the disease um, well starts well being active again um, that's the moment that we call the progression ah, okay so yes. the time from the you, treatment you bring it to sleep so to yeah, say uh, uh, yeah correct so My the, kind of understand. Yeah, yes. Okay. The, the time from uh, well suppression of the tumor until it grows mm -hmm. again is longer with ah. the treatment with lutetium than with uh, non-radioactive treatment. Okay. A word from our sponsor, Oda, Open Diagnostics Ecosystem. One of the goals of Hattrick, the Life Cooperative, and Oda is to encourage and support medical technology innovations from bench to bed. The ODE Open Diagnostics ecosystem is happy to help Patrick to reach a wider audience with their interesting innovation boosters by this valuable podcast. In the Life Cooperative, 45 companies and startups from life sciences and medtech in the north of the Netherlands work together in innovative projects from medicine and diagnostics to medical technology. The ODE Open Diagnostics ecosystem offers access to a network of companies, knowledge institutions, healthcare partners and open innovation facilities that use their knowledge and abilities to develop new techniques for making medical diagnosis. The goal of ODE is to turn the north of the Netherlands into a global expert in the development of innovative diagnostics. Want to know more? Have a look at opendiagnostics.nl Let me tell you something cool. Okay. <laughs> something wow. cool as in something that is happening in the north of the Netherlands, a combination of collaboration between uh, the Royal University Groningen, mm -hmm. University Hospital, and uh, the shine technology being developed in Veendam. So uh, Walter was explaining about lessons learned. And currently, the current technique is using nuclear power plants, small nuclear power plants, the research mm -hmm. reactors, to making uh, a truckload of imported medical isotopes. The unfortunate thing with using research reactors is that they have these 
problem that if you do not pay enough attention, you get nuclear core meltdown scenarios. And this is exactly what, for instance, happened in Fukushima or mm-hmm. uh, Chernobyl. Our technology, the shine technology, does not make use of uranium fuel to creating neutrons. We do that by combining particles and too much detail for now, but we use nuclear fusion instead of nuclear fission to creating the neutrons needed to make these medical isotopes. To cut a long story short, in our case, uh, a nuclear meltdown scenario is, Im- is impossible. It's intrinsically safe. So your way of working is... is Absolutely. Much, much safer. Yeah. Wow. We create a factor 100 less nuclear waste, as an example. Um, it is uh, a factor 10 cheaper to make because of the technology. Wow, and, again. Uh, yeah, and the, <laughs> and the last one was that the examples that Walter gave, lutetium-177, iodine-131, yttrium-90, but also technetium-99M being used like 10 million times a year in Europe alone, mm-hmm. will all be made in uh, in Vendam in a joint collaboration uh, with the Royal University, the University Hospital, and China. So we will be basically become the European Center of Excellence on the new way of making these uh, these vital medical isotopes. That's wow. the cool part. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I if I would sum up the newest developments and uh, more specifically the advantages of the new developments, the first thing we could look at is new developments in production, and you just sketched some of these advantages: safer, no more nuclear waste, cheaper. Wow. Mm-hmm. And innovation that will also drive other technologies like uh, solving the global nuclear waste problem Mm -hmm. and contributing to clean nuclear fusion. That is also part of our promise. And could could it also be applied for like energy, nuclear energy? Yeah, so so, so, uh, Shine is a nuclear technology platform company. You are currently at stage two, which is the development and production of medical isotopes. The next phase, which will start next year, is R&D on nuclear waste transmutation, so the long-lived nuclear waste that is a legacy product out of the nuclear energy program that we had, will be uh, attacked by our technology to make that shorter-lived waste so that that problem will go away eventually. Uh, That will take five to ten years. Sorry, we cannot do that (laughs) in one day. But then ten years from now, we will actually be ready to actually contribute to clean nuclear fusion. And the good thing with nuclear fusion is it does not create nuclear waste. It's a very clean way, Mm -hmm. which will give us millions and millions of enough energy, which obviously also helps um, uh, geopolitical uh, stability in the world. So we have have big dreams, but we'll stick to focus on medical isotopes. Yes, yes, yes. But thank you. the um, uh, the other uh, societal implications you just sketched, I think, are also really uh, interesting. But we'll maybe we'll uh, make another podcast uh, <laughs> that's for <a> good that. Idea. <laughs> um, so that's for the production side. Um, then back to the advantages for uh, diagnostics and treatment. Based on what I just learned from you, I think higher precision, uh, especially for treatment. And what are the advantages of this higher precision? Um, well, so we're always aiming for um, uh, delivering the highest amount of energy mm-hmm. uh, at the site of where the tumor is located uh, with, of course, the uh, lowest radiation burden to surrounding tissues. Um, and uh, we all also see that there is difference in how the the tumor responds to, well, treatment, for instance, with lutetium. Mm -hmm. So that means that um, if we take prostate cancer, for instance, 
not all patients with um, these types of receptors that are being targeted with our lutetium prostate-specific radio mm -hmm. pharmaceutical mm -hmm. will actually benefit from this type of treatment. Okay. So um, they are progressive. So the tumor um, uh, and, and the tumor sites still grow, even despite the well, what we think adequate targeting. So maybe these patients or these uh, tumors will benefit from another type of radiation or radioisotope. Um, and we have also already seen some examples in well medical literature mm -hmm. of uh, patients that do express a specific um, tumor spe uh, prostate tumor specific uh, receptor mm -hmm. and are still um, uh, progressive uh, despite lutetium yeah. uh, treatment. So uh, we now think that the distribution of the tumor sites, may be like a, a, a kind of guidance in determining which type of radionuclide would fit that, um, well, the treatment for that patient best. So um, maybe we should switch to from an, um, a beta particle emitting isotope towards an alpha particle emitting isotope. Okay, what's the difference between those two and why could that be helpful? So um, there are, well, uh, three major types of, um, well, uh, radiation mm -hmm. uh, being emitted by a radioactive isotope. So a gamma rays, which is uh, suitable for detecting with uh, a camera system. Okay. Um, um, beta particles, yeah. um, which are, well, uh, actually electrons mm -hmm. being very destructive to uh, tumors with a, well, uh, a range up to one centimeter. Yeah, from okay. the, the radioactive isotope itself. Mm -hmm. And alpha particles, which are actually helium uh, nuclei. nuclei uh, yeah. um, wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which are larger particles than actually the electrons. Yes. And so have a shorter range mm -hmm. and thus deliver a higher amount of energy over a shorter range. So yeah. that okay. means that they deliver... Um, within actually the tumor cell or maybe two cell uh, cells surrounding where the radioactive isotope is stuck in contrast to uh, the one centimeter range of beta particles. So you can live and deliver a higher amount of energy um, and maybe more successfully suppress the tumor at, um, well, uh, at those sites. And we now think that patients with, uh, for instance, massive bone marrow involvement mm -hmm. in prostate cancer benefit from treatment with alpha particle emitters uh, better than patients with, for instance, only sites in well, lymph nodes. Okay. And are there already clinical trials? Uh, well, to, we to have that? some reports, not so much um, phase three randomized controlled trials, but we do have some phase one and phase two data and some case reports, which um, may support that. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, perfect. So, so clearly uh, what people clearly understand is that the development of a nuclear medicine goes through different regulatory stages, phase mm -hmm. one, two, three, and four. Phase four is the phase where you will receive a marketing authorization because there is 
clinical sufficient evidence by mm-hmm. enough um, nicomycin uh, treatments in patients where the competent authority will give you approval to sell this as a commercial product. Phase yeah. three is the phase where you actually do these studies to get to phase four, yeah. which is uh, like a thousand patients that will be treated. And phase one and two is low number of people and before that even uh, animal tests or literature study and all that goes with it. So we know for a fact that uh, when we try to uh, summarize the effect of nuclear medicine, there's a truckload of products that have marketing authorization where we know that nuclear medicine will make people live longer with a better quality of life. So that's the given. Also mm-hmm. for the teaching, there, there is like the neuroendocrine tumors. There's a marketing authorization for that. What we feel, which obviously is the, uh, the next step is, we know that this is having a wonderful effect, a wonderful as in a very um, um, uh, promising uh, effect for people that are Otherwise, having no uh, no options, no perspective, they are mm-hmm. in the last phase of their life. They, they have a couple of months to live, and now we have this alternative. The discussion, discussion now is what if we would use nuclear medicine not only in the metastasized phase, but in an earlier phase? Would that do something like prevention instead of waiting till the metastases have happened? And, and, and then and for, for the layman listening with me, what is this? spread through yeah so uh, if yeah. you have a ca- local cancer yeah. you can choose to cut it away if that is possible or do external beam radiation where you hit uh, the tumor with an external beam mm-hmm. if it's metastasized uh, spread out that's impossible then you need the nuclear medicine to go to the spread itself to do the local harm and and what about the side effects because that's something you hear a lot about that uh, patients undergoing treatment for cancer, so to say, um, yeah, experience a lot of side effects. How is that uh, in nuclear medicine and what could the newest developments bring there? Yeah, that's, a, that's an important issue. Um, so um, if we take the example of prostate cancer again, mm-hmm. uh, and that's very specific prostate cancer membrane antigen, which is actually the, the receptor that I was, I was talking about, it's not only expressed in prostate and prostate tumor cells. So unfortunately, there are, for some reason, mm-hmm. uh, these PSMA receptors also in salivary glands. Um and uh, well, in the liver, mm-hmm. and of course, you, uh, you see it in the central nervous system as well. So that means that if you introduce a very high amount of activity yes. uh, into a patient, uh, not only the sites where the prostate-specific membrane antigen is present will be attacked, but the, uh, but uh, so in the mm-hmm. prostate cancer, but also the salivary glands, and the liver, and the bone marrow. Yes, yes. So uh, we know from a large phase uh, three trials now that we do um, see um, myelosuppression. So that means, uh, well, suppression of bone marrow activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that the red blood cells, the white blood cells and the platelets do suffer from the radiation burden. And mm-hmm. it takes some time for the bone marrow to recover. So the, the amount of bone marrow suppression is more actually in uh, radioactive treatments compared to systemic chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, although patients um, treated with systemic uh, uh, chemotherapy also have well, some amount of bone marrow 
um, suppression, but also suffer from other side effects. Yes. Uh, like hair loss, uh, fatigue, um, and nausea. Nausea. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we do see the, those complaints or so those side effects in radioactive treatments as well, however, less expressed ah. as in uh, uh, systemic chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And if you um, compare the quality of life assessed uh, mm -hmm. for patients with systemic chemotherapy versus uh, radioactive, which uh, so might be the most important patient outcome you could... Uh, it's additionally import, uh, important. Yeah. Uh, we do see that the quality of life is actually better in mm -hmm. radionuclide uh, therapy compared to systemic chemotherapy. That's and helpful. That's not only for lutetium, but it's mm -hmm. also known from, well, previous studies with a Y94 instance for liver. Uh, disease. Lutetian already sounds like a friend of us. Lutetian. Yeah. Let's welcome Lutetian to the table. <laughs> yeah, the sci-fi uh, friend. Yes. So, um, uh, yes, um, there are still yeah. some side effects that we um, are interested in, uh, in well, um, well um, suppressing that mm -hmm. and helping patients recover from, from those side effects. Um, there has been already been studies in how to uh, overcome the suppression of uh, salivary gland function. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe injecting uh, with the vitamin C or even Botox uh, or even uh, stem cell replacement in, in these types of uh, um, patients. We already know from external beam radiation studies that the uh, introduction of uh, stem cells in salivary glands helps the well, salivary glands to recover from well external beam radiation. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, of course, very interested in, uh, in exploring those, uh, that potential in radionuclide treatments uh, as well. That's right. Yes. In, okay. Interesting. Lutetium is indeed uh, our friend, as you, mm -hmm. I, as you stated that. Um, uh, to put some numbers to that, the expectation is that like 10 years from now, Europe will benefit from lutetium with hundreds of thousands of patient treatments a year in Europe alone. And uh, the interesting part is that lutetium is, I think, that by far the most promising therapeutic medical isotope at the moment. But you need to be able to make it. And uh, for that, you need starting material. And that starting material needs to be prepared with special machines. Mm -hmm. And currently, the only one that can do that is... Uh, uh, Mr. Putin. So we are oh. depending on old Russian reactors, uh, machines, in this case, calutrons that are based in Siberia that they were actually being used to enrich uranium as part of the uh, Second World War and the Cold War that uh, came after that. So there is another responsibility that we need to take, and that is to building our own machines mm -hmm. so that we can make that starting material ourselves. So China that we are has, no longer independent. Yeah, so. but China has started that process three years ago, and in two years from now, we will be capable, uh, most likely, the first um, modern uh, non-Russian uh, organization to being able to make that uh, as well. So it's not only the capability of making medical isotopes, you need to assure that mm -hmm. there's enough starting material because if we create, we nuclear medicine community create a promise yes. to the world and we cannot deliver to the promise, um, that would feel very, um, very stupid. It's really interesting because the focus is really on Russia and energy. So to sum it up, uh, I wasn't aware that there is also uh, this important theme where it also plays a role. So to end this episode, I would like to know from the both of you, what do you hope for to be able to accomplish in the future, in the near future or 10 years from now? 
And in addition to that, what would be necessary from a hat-trick perspective to accelerate this future for medical radioisotopes? Walter, you so, go first. Yeah. yeah. What do you hope for um, in your dreams? Well, uh, of course, I'm um, looking forward to, uh, to a good collaboration with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, well, a commercial partner that uh, supplies us with uh, those forms of uh, radioactivity um, um, or radionuclides that we are incapable of making it ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, especially the longer-lived radioactive uh, isotopes, so for treatment purposes. Yes. Um, and uh, with a facility close by, uh, that means that we um, well have the potential of introducing uh, well new compounds mm-hmm. for uh, yet unknown purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so start um, uh, new investigational and uh, research lines uh, for the development of well um, those compounds that uh, well may be of benefit for future purposes. And not limited to cancer only, but also think about the treatment of uh, antibiotic-resistant infections or infectious diseases, which are known to be radiosensitive. So I expect in the next uh, 10 to 15 years um, that the field of nuclear medicine changes, uh, of course, with the introduction of, well, new compounds, mm-hmm. uh, but also the introduction of uh, new types of diseases, uh, which are not now already known to be radiosensitive, but um, unfortunately not um, uh, adequately treated um, with, uh, with irradiation yet. Um, the support of Hattrick. Um, what that, do you need from Hattrick? What do I need from Hattrick? Um, so, um, I guess, um, the, of course, there has to be a lot of uh, work uh, done before we can introduce um, these r- new radioactive compounds in patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that means that we uh, need to have um, a labs, we need to have personnel, we need to have PhD students. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I think that there will be a role of Hattrick. Uh, uh, for, let's uh, say, um, scientific support uh, in uh, these ideas, in realizing these ideas, um, uh, and, uh, well, for for, um, those students interested in, well, studying newly developed innovations. What what type of students do you think are particularly attracted to this field, this particular field of medicine? Well, we can uh, think about, well, any type of um, um, scientific background. So chemists, um, physicists, um, but also uh, medical students uh, interested in working in, in the lab instead of in a clinical setting, um, uh, biologists for uh, experimental models, uh, uh, biotechnicians, um, wow. well, 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 there is actually a broad range yeah. of well, also students. makes you makes it a really interesting field that it's such an interdisciplinary field of uh, of medicine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. It's not solely based on what the doctor wants. No, <laughs> Ali, what do you hope for in the in the future, in the near and far future? Yeah, yeah, I can only echo the promise that Walter gave you. But in addition to that, clearly shine 
is an enabler and making sure that there is enough infrastructure both in the commercial operations as in research and development to allow the people that actually do the clinical trials and studies and the actual uh, uh, clinical treatments in hospitals to do to do their work now and in the future. So I'm hoping and trusting that uh, um, the Phenom facilities will contribute to that enabling function. Mm-hmm. And I think that Hattrick uh, clearly has a role to play as in the binding force between the university, the uh, the the high schools, the HBOs, and mm-hmm. so on, uh, the university hospital, and uh, companies like Shine, and the ones that will be attracted by uh, by the Shine initiative. I would hope that Hattrick would play a coordinating and more programmatic leading role mm-hmm. instead of currently having an opinion. So my my call to Hattrick is take the lead here. Okay, we need we need uh, we need leaders here. Yes. And you also sketched, um, like in the middle of this episode, you sketched that you hope to, that we in the Northern Netherlands can become um, like a, a center of expertise, a center of knowledge. Could you, you sketch that perspective? Yeah, as center well? of excellence, center of knowledge, center of expertise. So clearly, uh, Europe has aggressively stated that we want to beat cancer. Uh, which is a European program. Uh, there will be made funds available. It is high on the agenda. We in uh, the northern part of the Netherlands have everything. We have innovative nuclear technology capable of making medical isotopes in a f- safe, clean, cost-effective fashion. We have a very strong um, um, university hospital with a truckload of professors and other um, uh, expert personnel that can do the job. And we have a technical university in Groningen capable of doing nuclear engineering, uh, biology, radiochemistry, and everything that goes with it. So we have the perfect cocktail of being successful, which is quite unique in Europe. And we should just explore that, elaborate on that. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, um, with that, we are at the end of this episode. Thank you so much, uh, Walter and Harry, um, for this truly interesting conversation. We learned a whole lot about what medical isotopes actually are. Um, I think I will uh, listen again to this episode myself to really be able to process it because it's, um, it's, um, for me as a, alpha it's quite uh, quite difficult uh we learned what the most important applications are the newest developments and how the future of medical radioisotopes might look like um thank you so much for joining me today and I, i wish you all the luck with your work in the future so to sum up when it comes to medical isotopes we should keep dreaming and working uh, to become a European acknowledged center of knowledge, innovation and production for nuclear medicine for all Europeans and far beyond. To be able to develop new applications in diagnostics, treatment and theranostics for cancer, cardiovascular diseases and other diseases in order to really realize more healthy years for everyone. This was the 10th episode of Innovation Booster, the hat-trick podcast about health technology for more healthy years of life. I would like to thank all the speakers for sharing their stories, their passion for this topic, and their knowledge and inspiration. If you would like to join Hattrick, we will put all the information in the show notes. And we hope you have enjoyed listening to us. You can find more information about Hattrick at htric.com. <laughs>